Welcome to the Super Nintendo Exploration Squad, Episode 5, a SelectButton.net guide and podcast. Our team of brave explorers plays one game selected sort of at random from the Super Nintendo library. Uh, Afterwards, well, during not afterwards, during the podcast, we discuss it using the five totally standardized metrics for scoring a video game, which are gun, vanity, mystery, poetry, and harmony. Joining me today are... Hi, I'm Nick Person, and this is my first time on the show, so thanks for having me. I'm one second before. I'm Sakarina. And I'm Talpa. And I'm your host, uh, Virtual Clint, and we're glad to have you, Nick. Um, I'm glad to get new new blood on here. You know, we're on episode five, I'm already calling new blood. All right. Uh, <laughs> this, week, <laughs> this week we're playing uh, Drift King Shutoko Battle 2. Uh, which is a racing game endorsed by the Drift King himself, Keiichi Tsuchiya. God, I'm surely butchering this. Um, But uh, yeah, who I'd never heard of before this and probably won't hear about again after. Um, I asked everyone to play about an hour of the game. Uh, So I guess how long did you play and what kind of, how far did you get, I guess? I played like one or two races in scenario mode and then I decided I was losing too much so I decided to switch to free mode so I could just focus on enjoying the tracks and I also played a little bit of drift tournament mode um, I played through pretty much all of scenario modes uh, the normal versions of scenario modes there's a hard version of each track and that's that I could not beat anyone in I tried out every level in scenario mode, but I then retired in each level, so I did not get very far, but I just wanted to see everything. And then I played around with the sound test for a long time. Yeah, same. I just, I retired early from all the races, but I did try each track once. And uh, I also messed around with the other modes, like um, the the drift tournament mode, so... See, like, I hyper-focused on the uh, scenario mode because I was getting good at it. Uh, I think I got... I actually didn't even see three of the tracks because I was so focused on winning, but I did uh, win the scenario in each, in all of them except for those three tracks, which looked boring anyway. Um, so I didn't... Know, so I didn't even realize there were any... Well, I didn't not realize. I just didn't look at any of the other modes until about five minutes before the podcast. So the drift one in particular is kind of interesting, but we'll we'll kind of get to that. So, okay. So we all got... We, we got a pretty good sample here of the game, uh, which is cool. It's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, so let's just go ahead and hop into our first topic, which is gun... And this is the part where I make a joke about gunning my engines. I didn't actually write a joke for it. I just have that in my notes that I make a joke about gunning my engines. So, <laughs> but gun is is typically where we talk about you know mechanics, how does it feel to play, to to gun your engines, um, that kind of stuff. And also, if there are any literal guns in this game, we could talk about that too. But uh, how did how did car gun feel to everyone? The gun of this game is drifting. The drift is your gun. It is the central focus of the entire game. And your opponent's car literally says the word target over it. So you are gunning for them. Perfect. (laughs) 
See, okay, can somebody explain what drifting actually is to me, a person who doesn't care about cars and has only played Mario Kart? Because I know it's like you're going weird directions and crap, but because in Mario Kart, when you're drifting, what you're doing is going completely perpendicular to the direction your car is facing, which I assume is sort of what you're doing in real life, but I don't quite get it. Like, I guess you your tractions lo- or your tire loses traction with the car, with the ground or something. Like, does anybody have any any knowledge of drifting? Um, it's basically the same thing as Mario Kart. You, you just kind of make the whole car hop and then land and skid. So you just kind of <laughs> hop with your car. <laughs> Fast and the Furious would be a lot better if the cars hopped, I think. Okay, <laughs> so... Cars, yeah. cars in real life should have a hop button, I'm just saying. Definitely should. My invention for a car would be tires that can turn sideways so you can parallel park really easily, but clearly that's not a, that's not a racing thing. But, okay. But drifting in this game, it was the focus, wasn't it? And, like, you know, you, I didn't feel like there was a special technique ex- for drifting specifically. You just sort of jammed yourself into a turn and maybe hit the brakes a couple of times and you could get a, a good drift going. It wasn't, like, super technical. Um, well, if you were a pro gamer like some of us, you would realize that you want to be driving your car in manual transmission, and then he could uh, downshift to drift instead of uh, pressing the brakes like some kind of chump. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly what I did the whole the whole time I played it. I'm afraid of manual cars in real life, and I was just as scared in digital life. <laughs> yeah, I totally. Every time I have an option, I pick automatic because I can't manage that many things. What gear am I in? Jesus, what am I in? Brainiac? Nope. Uh, Terrifying. It is! Actually, speaking of drifting, the only video game that I've ever played in manual transmission mode is Initial D in the arcade. Um, Because I just feel like it's easier to manage manual transmission when you have an actual stick to worry about instead of having to use controller buttons for some reason. See, I thought... Uh, manual transmission was very easy in this game because the, and I guess this is a little bit of a preview for Vanity, the engine sounds are very well done in this game. So uh, you can pretty much always tell when you're supposed to shift up or down based on how the engine sounds. Well, I just let it go. (laughs) I tried manual once and I couldn't figure out which button actually changes gears. So I was just driving around at 30 miles an hour with my engine making this horrifying whine for the entire course. (laughs) <laughs> that is also a way to play. You won't win any races that way, though. That's the that's the aesthetic way to play the game. <laughs> oh my god! Just um, get just get like a little vaporwave soundtrack on the game while uh, driving at thirty miles an hour. I'd play that. Hell yeah! Oh my god, that'd be great. Actually, while I was playing this game, I was thinking I want to make a ROM hack of F-Zero where you go actual safe speeds, which would be like maybe 10% of the speed you go in F-Zero. So, same thing. Completely unrelated, but I was watching um, Digital Foundry video of Gran Turismo Sport, which is coming out soon, and I found it pretty funny that they actually spend most of their time driving in first gear in manual transmission because they're actually more concerned about the quality of the graphics and being able to observe the track than they are about actually winning the race. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> um, I mean for real like uh, when I was uh, a kid and I would play racing games I would generally not care about winning it would just drive around to look at the scenery that's what I do when I play Gran Turismo 4 I see this is great because I remember 
course, again, I'm only playing Mario Kart games, but I do remember in Mario Kart 64 spending lots and lots of time trying to find weird shit in the track. My favorite was I spent maybe half an hour with my sister trying to get into the crowd in uh, the Wario Stadium one, which I ended up doing by having one of us sat on the top of a hill with a star and the other person drove directly into them, like towards the crowd course there's no collision there but it was really fun so yeah i guess maybe that's a running theme for us is just playing driving games for the scenery <laughs> yeah awesome. my sister and i used to do the exact same thing with mario kart 64 and i i kind of thought of it as like it's one of the earliest n64 games that had a 3d environment that you could like move around in and that was still pretty novel um they did have a lot of weird little things in hidden corners of the track. Sadly, in this game, you could not go off the course at all. Uh, there were sometimes little side paths that you could see, but if you tried to go down them, you'd hit a uh, semi-invisible barrier. So that was a bummer for me. Yeah, I, I mostly was so focused on winning because I felt like this game had a, 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 it peaked really e- really early on the difficulty. And then as soon as you started buying parts... And putting them and actually putting them in your car because I bought a bunch of parts and forgot to put them in my car. Um, then it actually got pretty dang easy. Uh, but I, I picked the first car on the list, and I wonder if the cars are also sort of a second difficulty uh, setting. But I, I don't actually know what the difference is. Do, what cars did you guys use? I also use the first car, but I do want to note that uh, uh, after you've like fully upgraded your car, you have the additional challenge of going into all of the tracks you beat and trying them again against the titular Drift team. Oh, that's why his face shows up on the tracks after you beat them. Okay, I was wondering about that, because I did go back and try one of them because I needed money, and uh, and it was way, way harder. <laughs> like, super hard. So, yeah, the Drift King, he's there. He's in this game. One of the things to note is if you're bad at this game like I am, uh, every time you lose a race, you also get 3,000 pity points that you can spend at the shop. Uh, so there's like some form of catch-up mechanic to brute force your way through the game if you just are terrible, uh, which is great because I'm also playing through Racing Lagoon, which is a Square Enix RPG where you race cars against other people, and that does not have that mechanic. And when you lose every race, you just have to get better. You get pity points for retiring early, too, per lap. Amazing. <laughs> Did you guys know yeah, that? Yeah, it's true. You get like, you get like 400 points, per... points. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you get points per lap or like something because I remember there was one where I think I got 300 points, which was weird when I retired. But yeah, you totally get points for retiring too. This is a, a kind of a forgiving game. Um, I also feel like just driving is forgiving. Like you can sort of bounce off the walls in a way that real cars wouldn't you can yeah, and it kind of directs you back towards the track generally um you know that it's you can really just slam it into reverse and get right back on the track really quickly there was a couple of times where i ended up going in in reverse because i was so bad uh and i still won the race because <laughs> i got turned around really really quickly so yeah it's i felt like i was bowling with bumpers in that regard yeah very much so <laughs> <laughs> so, which which is interesting. Um, I said um, but I don't have anything to add to that. Well, yeah, uh, it's pretty obvious that like uh, this is a late era Super Nintendo game, and uh, uh, they could not do all the things they wanted with uh, racing games. Uh, 
so there's no damage model at all. There, there's only like the barest hints of like simulationy, like uh, car tuning and car upgrading that uh, we all found. Yeah, which may, basically is like you know you put some parts in your car and it goes slightly faster and then it turns better. You know, which they had a nice little graph. I didn't know what the hell it meant, but the you know kept getting better. I mean, while we're on the topic of tuning, I should probably point out that Shutoko Battle is the series that would eventually go on to become Tokyo Extreme Racer in the Dreamcast era. And you can see a lot of the seeds of that series just in the gameplay for this game. I, I'm interested in that connection because I've never played the game. Well, the idea of Tokyo Extreme Racer, and in fact, the Tokyo Extreme Racer is more loyal to the actual title Shutoko Battle than uh, this game is, uh, for reasons that I'll explain in the Harmony section. But uh, Tokyo Extreme Racer is basically, you drive on the highways across Japan and challenge people to races with your tuned-up import car, and that is basically what this is, except everything is on a racetrack instead of the highways. Well, there are three highway racetracks, but that's another thing. Yeah, whereas this is uh, six uh, highway racetracks and three that are actual just normal racetracks. I disagree with that count, but uh, I guess we'll get to that later. Um, the other thing is Shutoko Battle means... Uh, Shutoko is Metropolitan Expressway, which is the system of highways in Tokyo. And Battle, of course, is Battle on those highways. Um, so it's kind of strange uh, that this game is sort of only partially that and mostly just racetracks. Oh, wait. Are, are there four uh, that are normal racetracks? Sorry, I might have misremembered. I, I know that like the middle four, three or four are all circuits. Yeah, there's the circuits, there's the test course, which I don't think is in uh, scenario mode. And there's winding, which look like they might be highways in the thumbnail, but then you play them and they're just normal racetracks. There's a little bit of a disconnect between the thumbnails for the tracks and um, the actual tracks themselves. And I think part of that is because they're restricted by what they can do on the Super Nintendo. Uh, I think this game suffers for being a Mode 7 game because Mode 7 limits... Uh, what you can do, like you can't have elevation changes in courses, which negatively impacts what they were going for in certain tracks, like Winding 1, there's a thumbnail uh, that looks like it's going to be a mountain pass track, which would be awesome, except they can't do that in Mode 7 because they have to have a flat uh, surface all the time, and uh, just for people who are listening who don't know the technical details about the Super Nintendo, Mode 7 is a render mode in the game uh, which lets you take a large texture uh, flat texture and basically tilt it to give the sense of perspective, which is how stuff like Super Mario Kart was done. It's how the airship flying around in Final Fantasy games was. Uh, I'm struggling to come up with other ideas, but yeah, Pilot yeah. Wings did that too. Um, yeah, Mario Kart was the big one, though I think, and F Zero. Well, a lot of racing and, and sports ish games that used Mode Seven, and then RPGs basically for their their overworlds were typically the ones using it. Yeah, it's essentially a way for the Super Nintendo to kind of simulate 3D in a semi-workable way. Um, yeah, speaking of the Mode 7 and the elevation of tracks, uh, this might be more of a vanity thing, but uh, while we're on the subject, I did notice that the backgrounds of these tracks, some of them um, slowly edge up and down and up and down in a pattern that is supposed to, I think, make it look like you're going up and down hills which uh, about like 
20% works. Uh, I didn't notice until I was staring at the background for a while during a particularly boring race. Yeah, these races drag on sometimes, especially the first few in scenario. They can be like two and a half minute laps or like a little over two minute laps at first, which is just intolerable when you're doing five laps. Like that, those should have been three. Like that's way too long, I think. This is why the pro strat is to play drift tournament mode where you only have two laps to do. So drift tournament mode, I played for about 28 seconds about three minutes ago. Um, so, but can somebody who actually played more of that explain what drift tournament what mode is versus the campaign? Sure. So it's sort of like drift challenges in Drive Club if you've played that on the PS4. Uh, you have the track, and certain turns are designated as drift challenge turns with a sort of racing line uh, traced out, made out of star markers. And your goal is to drift along the, tra- the trajectory of that racing line to collect as many of the star markers as possible, which gives you a good score. Um, there are two laps. The first one is a practice lap to get used to the turns, and then the second one is the actual real run. And then at the end, you tally up the number of star counters you've gotten, plus style points, which appears to be completely random, actually. Uh, and then you get your score, and your dude is either very sad or very happy. Yes, and that is the most important thing of that mode, at least to me, is that the entire time you're driving, you've got the face of the Drift King himself in the corner of your screen, and he, his facial expression changes depending on how well you're doing. And so, of course, for me, most of the time he was pissed. And when he's mad, it's really funny because he's just, like, grinding his teeth at you or something. It looks like he's, like, a, a hamster, like, chewing on something when he's mad. It's great. The question is, are you playing as the Drift King? And is that like a car cam? Or is the Drift King watching you and shaking his head like a disappointed parent? I think he's disappointed. I couldn't tell. I, I thought it looked like he was kind of like mumbling to himself or like cursing under his breath. And it was him driving. Yeah, because I, I didn't even realize in the scenario mode that you were eventually going to play against Drift King Man. I thought you were the Drift King. <laughs> and this was like the story of your career. <laughs> so uh, it's a little confusing. Well, I want to say, speaking of that, and going back to the variety of the courses, um, I read that the Drift King got his start in his career doing illegal highway battles like that before he became like a professional circuit racer. So I guess the courses mean you kind of follow his career footsteps by going from the highways to the circuits. So that would make sense. That's interesting. All right. That's cool. I like that. It, so there was a video that, that got posted on, on select button that was this guy racing against two other guys. And uh, I thought, so first of all, it was kind of a mountain passy looking thing. Like, you know, the video is sort of like an off, you know, not in the city. Um, and then it was really, really tense, even though they seemed to be going fairly slow because they looked like just normal ass cars. We're not talking about, you know, super speedy race cars here. But it was really tense when somebody needed to pass because the roads were small. And like, you you know, when they actually passed, like it was pretty incredible. I felt like this game was kind of going for some of that because sometimes passing your opponent can be a little tricky, especially at first. Once you start upgrading, I mean, you're going so much faster than them. It's it's boring. But the first like three or four races I played, I'm like really trying to get in there without hitting them. And like, there's a lot of tension there. I could see what they were going for. Um, it's interesting how much this is based on this guy's career and like the actual stuff that he was doing, I think. And this is a thing that actually 
goes into what I said about Tokyo Extreme Racer, because in that game, the way you defeat your opponents is by actually getting a significant distance ahead of your opponent. Uh, there's like a progress bar at the top of the screen that basically tells you the distance you have to get farther than they do uh, to actually win the race. Um, so I sort of like that aspect. I ended up turning around my car and going backwards and trying to hit as many cars as I could. And to me, that was a much more fun game. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've played that one too. I didn't play it in this one. I've definitely played that in Mario Kart and F-Zero. <laughs> oh, one thing I uh, was uh, thinking about uh, in the driving in this game in the while we're still in the gun session was uh, uh, how often are racing games uh, strictly like uh, one versus one maximum? Because I thought that was interesting compared to other Super Nintendo racers where you're like uh, racing against seven or eight other uh, cars or carts or whatever. Well, I think it just comes from drift racing events in general because I think those tend to be one versus one. And since this is the Drift Kings game, it just sort of makes sense. Yeah, I can't think of any other games that have done just the 1v1 thing because, like, oh, God, I remember playing Top Gear on the Super Nintendo a long time ago, and that felt like you were just constantly passing cars. It's like you started in, you know, 60th, and you had to pass freaking everybody. Um, I don't know of any... I don't know of any other 1v1 games that aren't, like, you know, just some sort of arcade thing you play with one other person. So that's interesting. It, it, it is interesting. I feel like this game is unique among among Super Nintendo racers. I actually really, really like it. Um, the The combination of like the the real mode seven lapping tracks, uh, you know, kind of like Mario Kart, but with the sort of more more uh, realistic feeling cars was was really interesting. I was a big fan. I was actually having a lot of fun. Um, I would have preferred that once I got like halfway around the track uh, farther along than my opponent, that I would have just won because I didn't want to do. It's boring whether you're way behind or way ahead. There's nothing interesting going on. I wish the race just would have ended at that point. Yeah, it works in the reverse way too because uh, on that match that I mentioned where I decided to go in reverse, I went in reverse for like five or six minutes. And then I finally decided, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to actually finish this level. And I started going the right direction. And I noticed that my opponent had already finished the race ages ago. And his car was just sitting there with the target over it, just sitting at the lap marker, not doing anything, waiting for me to finish. And it took forever for me to get back into it and actually do all the laps. I'm glad it does keep track of a negative lap counter. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder at what point this game would have, like, an overflow, though. Like, how many negative laps do you have to do before the thing overflows? <laughs> that would be fun to find out. No, it wouldn't be. It'd be terribly boring to find out. But... It would take forever. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be one of those, like, Mario 64, I did this for four years or something, and then something happened, you know? <laughs> four and a half button press uh, speed run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just liked seeing the car, like my opponent car, just sitting there and just imagining the driver sitting in there just like (laughs) cursing under his breath like the Drift King because I was taking so long. (laughs) Did you hit the opponent after they finished? What happens if you hit them when they're stopped? I did do that, and I just bounced off. I was hoping you could slam them into the side of (laughs) the road. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I really wanted to be able to do that, but it did not let me. He was invincible. I'm guessing the answer to this is no, but did anybody try the versus mode? 
Nope. Nope. Nah. Okay, so the versus mode appears to have two separate modes in it, and that's what I was curious about, but I didn't actually play them. There's one that's called Spot Race, and there's one, I think it's Set Race, and I'm not sure what the distinction is. Uh, I'm very curious about that. Maybe I'll try it later. Hmm, Interesting. Uh, I have no idea. Maybe my guess would be Spot Race is one track and Set Race is multiple tracks, but I don't know. That's clearly just shooting in the dark. But it's strange because scenario mode doesn't really have that. Yeah, that's true. You don't, you're not doing like a Grand Prix. You're just playing one race at a time. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Maybe if you know how that works, send us an email. Snexplorers at gmail.com. We'll mention it on the next podcast. Um, I don't know if this is gun or vanity. I'm just going to say it here. Um, but the weird... I think the weirdest thing about this game it took me forever to get used to was that your only taking up the bottom half of the screen, even less than that, um, because the the dashboard is actually taking up a significant percentage of that as well. So you're taking like the lower, you know, third of the screen plus a little bit. That's where you're racing. The top half of the screen is an action cam, which I have never seen in a Super Nintendo racing game. So basically you've got specific camera points around the track that will track you. Like as you drive by, it'll watch you uh, going by, just like in a real racing uh, broadcast, which I thought was really flippin' cool. And I actually used it as well to uh, to track where my opponent was, if they were close behind me, like how are they doing? Uh, you can also hit select and it'll switch to a rear view mirror, which I found less interesting. Um, but... It is also weird that it took up more real estate than the actual driving portion of what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised to see that. I've also never seen that in a Super Nintendo game. And uh, I couldn't make any use of it at all whatsoever. Like, as soon as I was looking at that top view, I was just completely unsure of where I was or what I was doing. But I was wondering if maybe, uh, A, that's there to emulate the experience of watching the Drift King in real life doing a race, and B, if it's there mainly for anyone watching you play. Like, maybe that's a whole feature that's just there to make it more fun to watch the game, which I kind of dig. I had the same thought as well. I thought this would be cool. Somebody else watching this game would be having a better time than a lot of other racing games. Yeah, uh, I think it's partly uh, to make it more fun to, like, uh, watch the game being played. And I also think that perhaps in versus mode... uh, the top half of the screen is just taken up by the other race car so that it just turns into regular split screen. And they just didn't want to program like a full screen view. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think. Probably so the frame rate is the same whether you're playing one player or two player. I vaguely remember that Street Racer on Super NES had something like this. Um, I'm struggling to come up with actually any Mode 7 racers that didn't have a split screen thing like that. Like Super Mario Kart has the map on the other half of the screen. Uh, I guess F-Zero is the only one I can really think of that doesn't do the split thing. But I think Street Racer and this one and the other games in the series that are on Super Nintendo uh, all do the split screen thing. Which makes me feel like it's a technical limitation because you're right. Mario Kart does it too. It takes up a little more screen, real like you can see it better and there's more... Uh... Uh, that, that it's bigger 
I felt like I was squished in the bottom half of the screen. I'm looking up street racer screenshots, and I don't see a split screen on that. So that one looks like it does do the whole screen. Um, but it does make me wonder, yeah, is that a technical limitation somehow? Or, or maybe even it was like a scenery limitation, like you can only see a little bit above the road. Maybe they, Maybe it's easier to do that than to have a whole sky or something like that. I don't know. It was weird, though. I was misremembering. Street Racer has four-player multiplayer, though, a split screen on Super NES. Oh, fuck. I was looking up. I, God, I can't remember the game now. There's a game on, I think it might be the, the Genesis or something. Anyway, no, it was the PlayStation, and it had eight-player split-screen racing if you got a multi-tap. Like, eight players on the same screen? Holy shit. I would be immediately lost. I would just vomit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, what else we got for gun? Um, oh, the other thing I wanted to say about that action cam is I do feel like it that it's another like move in the direction towards quote unquote realism. Makes it feel like a real race. You get to see all sides of the car, and I feel like you know they did a good job on on making that look good. Versus like Mario Kart, honestly, when you see the the other cars from the front, they're like leaning to different sides. They look ugly as hell. Like this one did a really good job of making it feel like a good three D car. So, but that's more of a vanity thing, I guess. So anyway, any other gun stuff that we can talk about with this game? So I have one kind of silly thing. I uh, discovered the ability to reverse, and I was reversing around everywhere, and I was thinking about that. And I know that there is a reason to use the reverse button every now and then in a racing game, but it's pretty rare, at least for me, that it's actually that useful. And I was thinking, I wonder if there are racing games where there are ways to control your car that are completely not useful in the game, but are only there because it's a feature of real-life cars. Like, can anyone think of that ever happening? Because I think that would be kind of cool. I can tell you that Deadly Premonition has dedicated buttons for your windshield wipers, and it never rains. It might rain, but <laughs> it doesn't do anything. <laughs> That's great. That's exactly the kind of thing I was, I was hoping to find out about. And blinkers, too. You can do each individual blinker, and you can also do windshield wipers and your headlights. It's fucking amazing. But driving that car feels like it's, it's awful. It's like driving a shopping cart with a busted wheel. It sucks. <laughs> I need to play this game. Um, I used to think the handbrake was useless in driving games um, until I was watching videos of the Drift King explain how to drift, and uh, he uses his handbrake for part of it, so... Handbrakes are real good when you want to do those, like, real sharp turns without losing too much speed. Also, if I think if you do it in real life and you don't know what you're doing, you just flip your damn car. I posted a screenshot of that game, but I can't figure out what freaking game it is, the one with the eight-player split screen. But, yeah, it's a total nightmare. <laughs> it looks like a nightmare. Is there even an eight-player multi-tap? I don't know. <laughs> I think it might... I can't... I might be misremembering what system it's for. Part of my brain says Saturn, but I never, I don't, never had a Saturn. I don't know the capabilities. Of Saturn that could work. Might be Saturn then. Are we ready to move on to a vanity? Yep, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so yeah, that's that's gun. That's car gun. I think we gunned it up. Um, so our next topic is going to be vanity. And this is where I make a joke about vanity plates. Again, I didn't write an actual joke here, but I thought it was cute. Um, so let's talk about the vanity of this game. You just thought of the punchline and not the joke. Yep. That's vanity me. plates are not a thing in Japan. 
Really? Hmm. Interesting. Yep. Well, that's good because vanity plates are stupid and I hate them. <laughs> All right, so... So van- vanity is kind of our graphics and music and just anything else we want to throw in here. Um, I personally thought this game looked good. Uh, I thought it sounded good. The- I only heard one song for the racing mode but or for the scenario mode, but it turns out you can change the background music and the options, and I didn't figure that out. So uh, the other one sounded okay from the two seconds I listened to each of them. <laughs> but what are some thoughts on the vanity for this game? The music is surprisingly good. Um, I, I was playing this, and my girlfriend was watching, and the music at the very intro kicks in, and we got so pumped up. Like, it is real serious pump-up music. And then so much of the music throughout the game is really good and weird and cool. I mean, you know, a lot of it you don't hear until you actually go to the sound test, but we were playing every single song in the sound test, and almost all of them were really great. I was amazed. Yeah, I I got pumped up by that that title music as well. Let's see, what did I write? Oh, I just wrote cool menu music. That's too bad. I don't have any better. I felt like the music somehow reminded me of the Super Nintendo Pilot Wings just a little bit. It's a lot yeah. more like, yeah, it's it, it's a lot cooler, I guess. It feels like more of the time, kind of like lots of drums and just rocking out. But it reminded me of Pilot Wings a little bit. I wasn't thinking so much about Pilot Wings. I was thinking about Gran Turismo 4 because I've been playing that a lot this week. And the scenario mode shop music in particular just feels like it was taken out of that game. It's kind of freaky. Uh, I really like that. A lot of the music sounded to me like, uh, and this is in particular the the course music from the sound test, sounded like actual instrumental like synth pop tracks like that you would hear on an album, you know, like not just in a video game. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, I also thought the music was just kind of rad in this game. Like, uh, I was really into it. The uh, the course select music sounds a lot like battle music from Earthbound. Oh, that's weird. I didn't even notice that. I'll play it right here, you, and you can decide. You can be the judge listener. Okay, it's playing now. Um, by the way, that eight-player game is actually Street Racer on the, I guess, the PS One, according to one random person on the forum. Sorry, I got a little obsessed with that. That would make sense given the four players on the Super NES. Yeah, it was like a selling point. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, the music was good. I like the, I like it was kind of synth poppy. Um, it matched really well with at least the the one track that I heard. Uh, matched really well with the. Uh, the backgrounds, the fact that it was a city either at night or during sunset felt very applicable to that. I did think that the backgrounds were really nice. And like, you, uh, I think it was Nick, you mentioned that uh, the backgrounds kind of go up and down to simulate going up and down a hill. But what I really liked, and it, that was bad, but what I really liked is that as you drove around the course, certain buildings would get closer and then farther away. So it looked like you were approaching different parts of the city. I liked that a lot. I thought it was neat. I love the variety in color palettes in the racetracks in this game. Uh, there are two sunset courses, two night courses, and the rest are all standard daytime race courses. Feels good. Yeah, the day courses I didn't I didn't care for. I really just wanted to drive around in the city at night. <laughs> it's true. 
Uh, I'm also a fan of the 90s aesthetic of scrolling tiled backgrounds with the name of the game you're playing on it. And this one is very good. Yes, I was going to bring that up. Yes. Yeah, diagonally scrolling with the logos. Yep. Oh my God. Well, that was quick. Uh, <laughs> I thought the cars looked really good, too. I thought the cars looked really cool. Like like I was saying earlier, like the, with that action cam, you get a, uh, a front view, a side view. Like all of the sprites look really nice for that. Um, it felt like a big, meaty car versus like, again, I'm going back to Top Gun because, again, it's one of the few like sort of serious or racing games I played on the Super Nintendo. That one, the sprites were all like very your camera essentially was so low to the ground that you really just saw the back of the car. This one was like a little higher up in a way, the way that they, they drew the sprites. So you could see a little bit more of the front. You could see, you know, your, your spoiler, if your car had one, like it, it looked good. It felt like a, a, a little plastic toy car, but meatier than most uh, racing games I think give you. I have a correction to make. Uh, it's actually the stats music that sounds like Earthbound, not the course select I got bamboozled. Okay, well, that'll be the one that, that played correctly. I'll correct that in post. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it is the stats music. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see the number of car color choices when you're selecting your car. Um, I really wasn't expecting there to be more than, like, the four that you can choose for the regular cars, but there are actually many more colors than that. And I guess... It makes sense from a technical standpoint because the way those colors are assigned does makes it pretty easy to swap colors. Uh, it's not like they're completely separate assets, but I found that surprising. Yeah, like it. it I think that the, I only really used one car, and but there were eight colors for it. Of course, I didn't change it because it was fucking purple, and purple's the best goddamn color. It um, is the best color. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the characters are all really good looking in this game. Like really great character designs. All the people that you race against are, uh, they have a lot of character. I did find, uh, <laughs> one was kind of funny was, uh, the American guy that you race against, uh, has the blondest hair and the bluest eyes ever. I mean, his eyes are like beady and solid, bright blue. And, uh, I couldn't help but notice also that the course you race him on, like his course is completely shaped like a penis. <laughs> I, I did not that. see that. I, I did not realize that it was uh, shaped like a dick. Oh, God, that's amazing. I wonder how intentional that was. Or just a subconscious view of what Americans are like. Blue-eyed <laughs> penises. I don't think it was intentional. We'll get to that soon. <laughs> you, ne- you never know. It was a penis in Banjo-Kazooie. Thank you. Anyway. Yeah, without... That was uh, a UK game. Of course, there was a penis in it. They love those. They love those. They love their their general genitalia and just naked bodies. They're all they're all over that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of anything. I'm looking at my notes for vanity. What else did I write down? Uh, oh, there's skid marks on the track. Uh, that at first I thought they weren't there on the first lap, and so they were like either generated or just sort of placed there after you went around once, but I was wrong about that, but I did like that there were skid marks on the track. That was pretty cool. No, those just tell you where to drift. So they're functional as well as making it feel like a lived-in world. (laughs) Yeah, I thought the actual tracks themselves looked really good as well. Yeah, they felt like, like, 
highways. I mean, they're, they're supposed to. And I guess that's kind of the funny thing about it is that they look like highways, but then they're closed tracks, which is silly. But we'll get to that, too, I think. Um, what else? I don't have anything else for vanity, except I did write a single word, which was sunset, exclamation point, which I just really, that was, they were really nice. They were nice sunsets. They were nice sundown scenes. My favorite thing to do in any game with cars is drive around in a city at night. That's my Grand Theft Auto V experience is just driving around in a city at night. So that's basically my aesthetic. I went straight for the city night driving as well. And there is a pretty decent uh, city night level here that um, has kind of an Akira Neo Tokyo vibe almost. And I was like, oh, I wish I was on a future bike or something right now. But it was pretty good. And I also did really like that uh, San Francisco sunset looking level. That was Those were my two favorites. Um, I also wanted to mention the... Uh, <laughs> the logo of the publisher is amazing. It's like a half koi, half lion beast, and it's very cool looking. Oh, yeah, that's worth mentioning that this was, I think, it was published, right, by uh, Bulletproof Software, who also published Tetris 2 and maybe even developed parts of Tetris. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But, yeah, they, they were involved in Tetris 2 as well. Yeah, the publisher was Bulletproof Software. The developer was Genki, and they are, as Sakurina has previously mentioned, they were mostly known for uh, uh, the rest of this series, the rest of the Shutoko Battle series uh, on other systems. In fact, this is, I just looked it up, this is the last uh, Super Nintendo game they put out. After this, they switched over to, like, the Saturn and the PlayStation and the N64. Yeah, and speaking of logos and companies, why is the Genki logo a really fucked up looking smiley face with pointy hair? Because it's so Genki. You're going to have to explain that to me. <laughs> oh, Genki's like um, upbeat, uh, uh, always, uh, always jazzed, energetic. Okay, thank you. I, so just this is totally off topic. But I have made two separate attempts at learning Japanese, and I have not learned any fucking words. <laughs> I learned a bunch of the kanji completely out of context, and then I learned a bunch. I, I learned the hiragana completely without learning any words. I just never get far enough to learn anything useful. So uh, I apologize for my complete inability to learn this language. <laughs> okay. Was there anything about vanity that we didn't like? I was actually pretty into the, the vanity of this, so I didn't really have anything other than, oh, my God, there's only one song, which turned out to not be true. So, But it, did anybody else? Silence. Yeah, this game was really well presented for like a medium profile Super Famicom racing game. I mean, this is this is kind of like what happens with uh, all consoles. Like, you get these like really gorgeous games that are like pushing the system to its limits right at the end of like that system's lifespan. Yeah, and that's a very good point because this was released in what 1994 or something, which was 95. 95. That's that's late for the Super Nintendo. So yeah, it was really pushing it to the limit. Okay, well, I'm comfortable moving on to uh, to our next topic, if it, unless anybody has any last-minute vanity stuff here. Okay, cool. All right. Um, so let's talk about mystery. And I didn't even bother writing a car joke for this. I didn't even bother writing a non-joke about cars. I don't have anything. So what was mysterious well, about this game? 
I do have a mystery. I, I mean, I I was like uh, talking a big game, but I did write down why am I so bad at drifting. <laughs> the controls in this game are so clunky. See, I felt the opposite, but I did. I was driving an automatic, so. The mystery to me was the mystery of what is a car and how does it work and what is inside of a car. Because when I was trying to buy parts for my car, uh, I didn't know what any of them were. Uh, I saw a pair of screws and I saw what looked like an old modem. Uh, so I bought a modem. <laughs> I bought a modem for my car and it didn't have any effect. Oh, one of the computer parts you can get uh, uh, when you're buying parts for this uh, uh, for your car is a, a limit remover so that you can go faster than 181 kilometers an hour. Maybe that's what it was. Oh, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Because I'm lo- I was looking at that and I thought that's either a modem or a car stereo like or a, car- a radio. I don't know what the hell is going on here. Speaking of buying parts, uh, the shopkeeper in the scenario mode is Masaaki Bando, which is one of the two names in the title of the game. Uh, racing director of Racing Project Bando, which is a drift, ra- uh, no, not a drift racing team, a racing team he founded in 1990. However, that's sort of the joke is his team doesn't actually partake in any drift racing events at all. They only participate in Super GT events. That's silly. <laughs> so that's a mystery. That's quite mysterious. What is he doing in this game? That's really funny. Uh, Another thing that I found mysterious is, um, did anyone else find the tracks to feel very familiar to them? Not particularly. They just... Actually, that's one thing I meant to mention on Gun, is that the tracks actually feel very different from each other. A lot of these games, you you drive and you just kind of make whatever turns come up. This one felt like there was a lot of specifics about the tracks that you needed to learn to get good at them. But no, they didn't seem familiar to me outside of the context of me racing on them like two or three times to try and beat this person. Well, I didn't mean familiar uh, like between each other. I meant just familiar from other games or whatever, because Circuit 1 is not explicitly labeled as being Tsukuba Circuit, but it's totally Tsukuba Circuit. And in fact, they're listed in the credits for this game. I looked it up. Um, circuits 2 to 4 and the test course all feature elements that are distinctive to tracks that have been in the D1 Grand Prix, which is a Premier Drift event, or Super GT, uh, which is uh, Masaaki Bando's stuff. Uh, so it's pretty nice to see, like, little elements of those tracks that are in there while they had to deviate a little bit from those tracks because they couldn't copy them outright without collaborating with the tracks explicitly. And I guess some of them wanted money or something. Um, In the track thumbnails, I recognized like the archway that looked kind of like a tire. I don't know what racetrack that's from, but it's definitely from Yeah, that's the Kuba circuit. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, this is some some insight that I would have never picked up on on my own. So yeah, they're they're based on real tracks. I love it. Based on a real track, only the names in one corner have been changed. And this is why I was sort of skeptical about the Phoenix thing being intentional because I was like, well, all of these tracks sort of check out, <laughs> so I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I've been playing a lot of Gran Turismo 4 this week, and if I hadn't been playing it, I probably wouldn't have noticed. But yeah, uh, totally checks out. That's okay. So that's really cool. Like, and I have a problem with racing games where I can't remember what, what track I'm on between laps. Like I'll take the same corner five different ways, five different laps because I'm like, wait, what's going on? So I would never have made that connection. (laughs) 
I don't know where else to put this, but it's, I guess it's sort of like mystery. Uh, when I first started playing the game and I first got to the shop, um, you know, I don't read uh, Japanese at all. So I was not sure exactly what was going on. And when I see this guy in the shop and now there's suddenly a bunch of options, I thought that I was in for a dialogue tree and that there was going to be this whole story mode where I was going to carry out conversations with people. And I was like, oh, no, how am I going to get past this? But then it was just a shop. Yeah, the menus are actually not too bad, considering that that I don't read Japanese at all. So not not too bad at all. Um, what mystery did I have? Why are you earning points and not money? How do you buy car parts with points? Is there a specific? I, I, I imagine that there maybe there's a reason for it being points instead of money, but it, it did weird me out. Nope. Yeah, I have no idea what that was. So I guess that's mysterious. Maybe there's some like secret racing world that operates on a completely separate currency, like uh, the assassins and John Wick, and you earn points and they give you gold coins, and then you can exchange those for engines. That sounds like you're describing pachinko, which is really strange. <laughs> yes, because that is certainly our next topic. But what's uh, any other mysteries that that we want to go over, or you want to move on? Um, I had something down for mystery, which I don't know, I'm kind of shoehorning it into this category, but, um, when I play games like this, I always think about what kind of impact they made to real people, like in Japan, like, was this game a big deal when it came out? And, uh, I looked it up and it sold 97,000 copies, um, which is kind of a lot for like a late era Super Famicom racing game. So I tried thinking about like, you know, a real person who was into racing, getting all pumped for this game and watching VHS tapes of races and stuff. And so, I don't know. Yeah, it certainly, uh, it feels like a kind of time and place thing a little bit. Like you've got celebrity racers, you've got apparently courses that are either exactly the same or at least similar to existing courses. You've got that action cam trying to put you into the action. Like it, it feels like it was meant for somebody who was already into racing, not somebody who is into the fantasy of racing like a lot of other racing games are, but somebody who is like, I know these people, I know what they do, and I want to participate in this in whatever you know way that I can. So, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. And that I didn't realize how much it sold, but I do think it's a pretty big deal because this series has continued for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, the first uh, Shutoto Battle game is the first game to have, like, cosmetic tuning and car upgrades at all, like, on any system. Interesting. I would be interested to look into that, too, because if that's the case, then this is not just, like, an important game. It's like a, it's like a game changer, right? Well, not this one, but the first one. <laughs> so. First one's pretty rough. Did you guys see it? No, I no. haven't looked at it at all. They definitely polished it up for this one, which made me happy because, you know, I heard the number two, and then I heard that there was another one that was 94, and I thought 94 came after two because I feel like that happens a lot, but it turns out 94 is the first one. So, I'm actually looking up when we're supposed to play the original Drift King game. Hold on. 20 years from now. I hope. Uh, it, actually, it's 42 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I, have our, I have all the way until uh, 2067, April 23rd, 2067, scheduled out. So uh, we've got a while to go. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. <laughs> yeah, I have a list of every single Super Nintendo game 
and I cut out the Mahjong and Pachinko and horse racing, and what we're left with takes us is 1,304 games, and it takes us all the way to April 23rd, 2067. So uh, I'll probably die before this podcast dies. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, um, so I think that's it for mystery. Uh, a fair amount of mystery for a game that's about driving cars in, in circles, basically. So, uh, um, But now... Instead of moving on to our next topic, we're going to take a... Oh, it's not a Mahjong break. It is Salary Man Minute. That's what we've decided to call it. Yes. Uh, this is the part where we talk about whatever uh, horse racing or Mahjong or, in this case, Pachinko game that we've decided to play for five whole minutes this week. We're going to talk about it for five whole minutes as well. Um, this week, we're talking about, okay, here we go. Uh, Pachinko, he, he, shoho. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Which, uh, when I looked it up, Giant Bomb tells me that it's a Pachinko game about learning how to play Pachinko. Um, so we all played this for five minutes or more in some cases, my case, actually. Um, what did, what did we think of, of Pachinko words I can't pronounce properly without sounding like an asshole? I think this, this is game the, did not teach me how to play Pachinko. I think this is the worst Super Nintendo game we've played yet. Worse than Tetris 2? Yes. I hated yes. this far more. Okay. At least Tetris 2 is a game. It might not be a good game, but at least it has, like, it feels like a game, and it somehow manages to be less ugly than this. This game is very, very ugly. I took all of two screenshots of it. The first was was me getting a uh, slot machine thing that said 420, so, you know, blaze it. And then the other was of some nice. of the cut... Yeah, <laughs> some of it. The other was a cutscene art, which is god awful. Um, it does have cutscenes. I, 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 I mean, unless you go directly to the pachinko mode, but there's a story mode where you like some old man yells at you or something, and then you go to a pachinko parlor, and some other guy tells you about how great pachinko is, and it's it's super fucking ugly. There only seems to be one pachinko machine, which if you're okay, there are four. Are there? I could only find one. I have a huge info dump prepared, but I'm waiting for everyone to get their impressions of the game out of the way before doing it, because it'll be more funny that way. Okay, so I did figure out how to play Pachinko when I played this, uh, just to do my full impression, and uh, after, like, 20 seconds of just watching balls fall down into uh, into uh, pockets and getting more points for that, uh, I put my emulator on fast-forward while... Uh, Holding the uh, holding the launch ball button down and uh, won. So that was my experience playing this game. And I guess I should probably describe Pachinko for somebody who hasn't ever seen it played. And this is my impression of it. It's probably not very accurate. But basically, you get hundreds of tiny ball bearings, uh, and then you, in the machine, you don't actually just carry them around. Although I think you do later. Anyway, the ball bearings go into a round board that has lots of pegs and bumpers and things. They fall down. You get points for where they land, what holes they land in, and that's it. You can control the uh, speed, not the speed, the uh, the amount of velocity they have when they go into the board. Uh, and I think you can control in some machines how many come out at a time. Uh, but that's that's it. It's a slot machine, but it has to be it has to have quote unquote skill attached to it because this is my understanding because gambling is illegal in Japan, so it has to have a skill component. 
it's a little bit more like pinball than a slot machine, to be honest. Like Pachislo is a different thing where you actually have slot machines with pachinko elements. Uh, but real pachinko is a lot more like pinball with a payout. See, I, I'm very curious about that, because what control do you have other than the velocity of the balls in a real pachinko machine? You don't, but if stuff bounces off of other stuff, therefore it is pinball. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fair. It just seems like another way of randomizing an outcome to me. You know, it doesn't seem like like pinball is, is but random. It's not but it's really random, though. That's the thing. It's like you can get into a groove with pachinko. Like this is knowledge that I have because I have actually beaten an entire pachinko game on the 3DS. Uh, you can get the angle basically perfect always get in in the hole. And then at that point, it's just, well, have I reached this machine's uh, biggest payout yet uh, due to the statistics and whatever? Uh, Pachinko is a very, like, everyone thinks it looks like you just control the the velocity of the balls and whatever and you win, uh, which is kind of true. But there's another dimension to it, which is what's on top of the machine, which is the readout of the machine statistics, which tell you how many times this machine has given a, a large uh, jackpot payout uh, in the last day and uh, technically like what is the next number of rounds that needs to be played legally before you get a payout or stuff like that. There's a bunch of math there that if you are a math nerd, you can basically look at those things and determine which machine to sit at to actually win more likely, uh, win more balls than you would at another machine and then turn those balls into credits for rewards, but that can't be money because g gambling is illegal, so it has to be something like little things of gold that you can sell at a coincidentally adjacent store which accepts gold thingies and gives you money for them. Like, And when I learned that that's how gambling essentially worked in Japan, it explained so much about things like the Pokemon Game Center or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I, I learned that. I'm like, oh, I get it now. That's why this is so damn complicated. <laughs> okay, well, that's, I mean, yeah, I think that this is, I feel like this game was a poor example because it, it wasn't very interesting to actually play Pachinko. It didn't have, like, a lot of cool stuff going on. It was just a Pachinko machine at its most boring. Um, so that's my impression of the game. Yeah, I was uh, completely unable to even <laughs> play pachinko in this game. Uh, I did manage to get to a, yeah, I did manage to get to a machine, but uh, there was this uh, little circle in the lower right that I ended up looking up a video of a pachinko machine later, and I saw that this is a physical feature of most machines. But it's, I, I gather, it's something you're supposed to like rotate in a certain way, and maybe it releases the balls or something, but. I was able to press a button to make that thing slowly jiggle back and forth, but I couldn't figure out how to make it actually release the balls. So I was just kind of staring at the machine for a while. Um, but the most important uh, thing I have to say about this game is there's a lineup of machines that you can get to, and you see like the view of your main character, who is hideous, standing in front of this line of machines. Every machine is exactly the same. They're all called a Radin, and they're numbered. And the most important thing is they're numbered like 61, 62, 63, and so on. But there is no 69. They skip it straight from 68 to 70. And I was very disappointed. This game sucks. <laughs> ah, screw this game. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, that was our, our first. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I have the info dump left. So oh, I, sorry. Sh I should point out that the name of this game actually means something. Uh, 
it means the secret surefire way to win at Pachinko, which is the first clickbait title on the Super Nintendo. Uh, <laughs> as the title screen points out, it is presented by VAP, hashtag VAP Nation. Uh, and there, <laughs> there are four machines in this game. So there's the Aradin that you mentioned. There's Yakuken, which is the one that you got the 420 on, uh, Clint. And there's Tanukichikun 2 and Bravo Kingdom. Uh, I guess maybe some of them are gated in various parts of the story mode. So maybe you can only accept, uh, access certain machines at certain points. I tried to play the Pachinko mode, but I failed to play Pachinko somehow. Uh, <laughs> but I've seen all these machines. Uh, three of these are be- based on real Pachinko machines. Uh, however, I guess they didn't want to pay licensing fees or whatever. So they just misspelled the names of the games. Um, and this is where things get interesting. So Yakuken is the sketchiest of all four of these machines. It's based on a pachinko machine by Sanyo Busan. And the story behind this franchise is that it originated in 1969 on Nippon Terebi and its television station. And they had a segment on a variety show, Conte 55 no Ura Bangumi o Buttowase. And the segment consisted of having beautiful female guests play rock, paper, scissors. And if they lost, they would have to take off an article of clothing and auction it to the audience for charity. That explains why the slot machine was all rock, paper, scissors shit. Okay, go on. And this became such a hit of a segment on the show that it became its own television show, Conte 55's Yakuken. And this is what the pachinko machine is based on. Holy fuck. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, the next machine on the lineup is Tanukichikun 2, which is misspelled as Tanokichikun 2 in this game, of course. Uh, and it is apparently a huge hit pachinko machine from 1992, which has been continually remade every couple of years on consoles and computers until 2003. And in 2003, they released like a new modern remake, an HD remaster of the original <laughs> pachinko machine. And now this machine has faded into obscurity. Uh, the same thing sort of happened with Bravo Kingdom, which is misspelled as Bravo Kink Tam in this game. Uh, <laughs> get, that, get that kink in there, yeah. Yep. And it is another 1992 hit pachinko game, this time by Heiwa Corporation. It is a member of the Bravo series, which is apparently one of the first series to be digital pachinko, because before pachinko was digital, uh, you didn't have things like displays uh, or large jackpot bonuses, which means it must have been really fucking boring, uh, like more so than regular than pachinko is now, uh, <laughs> which is kind of amazing, really. And the last machine appears to be entirely original, and it's called Aradin, as we said, uh, with an R. And it appears to be inspired by the 1989 patchy slot hit Aladdin by Sammy, which is a company that we may know because they did other video game stuff, namely the Atomus Wave arcade board. And it just is sort of a generic Aladdin pachinko thing. And those are the four machines in the game. Uh, this game is really fucking bad, man. That, oh my god, yes. that was so much um, good information. Yeah, that is really interesting. Uh, before we wrap up, I did have a couple of things that I thought were interesting in this game. Uh, as I was trying to figure out how to play it, I did manage to navigate through the menu eventually to find what appeared to be a little book. And it was like this faithfully rendered like full book that you could page through on your Super Nintendo. Like, But the problem was that it was this like low-res JPEG of a book. And there were all these patterns and graphics and stuff on the pages of this book. And it was like 20 pages, but there seemed to be no writing in the book, or at least nothing I could make out, not even kanji or anything like that. Uh, so I could not figure out what the point of this thing even was. You can so, z- you can zoom in on the pages. Uh, that was one of the things uh, you can do. 
Yeah, and each machine has their totally own book. That. I saw the book as well, but I couldn't figure out how to zoom in. It just looked like garbage. You know, I was like, what the hell? So that, that definitely is, that explains some things as well. Hmm. Yeah, you don't really get an ebook interface on a Super Nintendo very often. <laughs> you don't. You really, really don't. <laughs> okay, well, a strong start to our Pachinko games. I just want to really read this this uh, uh, excerpt from Wikipedia about Yakuken, which says, Numerous hentai games have been made featuring the Yakuken gameplay, and then hentai games is a link. So I just really liked that little little wiki link there. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, well that was I'm South Karina, I'm so glad that you at the last minute decided to join this podcast because otherwise we would have just been like, Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> we don't know anything. So that was really, really good. I mean Definitely. it still sucks. Oh yeah, it I mean, sucks. I agree, and I like Pachinko. <laughs> but it historically sucks, right? Like it has a history of sucking. Good. That's good. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, let's let's move on. Nobody learned any anything about how to play pachinko. At least one of us couldn't even play it. It's a rousing success. <laughs> but that was great. Okay. Um, so our next topic is poetry. I'm not sure how much poetry we're going to get out of out of car game. We're going back to car game. We're not talking about pachinko anymore. So uh, we're talking about Drift King. So I don't know poetry of motion. Well, there was one element of poetry that I found in the whole game, and that is that one of the songs is named "Lover's Fate." That is the only phrase that can qualify for poetry. I was going to mention that as well. That's pretty good. And there were some other like interesting track titles. I mean, I kind of enjoyed them all. These are, this is the listing of track titles that I wrote down. Violation, Daybreak, Lover's Fate, Bingo, with an exclamation mark, Ramble On, and Night Cruise. Violation. What a name for a track. Yeah, it was my least favorite of them. It was just kind of like intense like synthesizer music i don't know what else to say about it yeah that's weird i like i like lover's fate that's really nice <laughs> that's that's very i feel like again we're getting into a little bit of vaporwave territory but i don't know fucking anything about vaporwave except it's stuff slowed down so uh yeah maybe i'm wrong <laughs> not necessarily just stuff that's slowed down it's a whole aesthetic movement i know i'm simplifying because i don't I mean, know anything and i'm an old now I mean, this game in its free roam mode does kind of feel like a vaporwave game because you're just like driving around these empty tracks, not worrying about anything. Yeah, it does have that vibe. Um, If you just took the sound test and you just ripped all the music from this game and you use those exact track titles and you slowed it down and added reverb and then you used a screenshot of the game as your album art and you put it on Bandcamp, you'd have a vaporwave album. Hold on, I'm going to do this and make my vaporwave millions. (laughs) I mean, one guy did it for Super Mario 64, so why not this game? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) This is why nobody can take Vaporwave seriously. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to mention that one of the characters that you race against looks exactly like my uncle looked in the early 90s, so I enjoyed that. (laughs) Another mystery. What was your uncle doing in Japan at this time? Exactly. How did he become the inspiration for this pixel art? The uncle who works at Bulletproof Software. (laughs) 
a lot less exciting. <laughs> uh, oh, I want to mention that we keep calling it free roam mode. Is that the translation? Because that's definitely a time trial. I will go look at it. I'll be right back. The first word is free. It's definitely free, which is why I've been calling it free roam mode. <laughs> okay, because I just wanted to make... Because it would be totally incredible if there was a racing game where they're just like, you know, oh, here's the, the hard part where you have to race against other people. Here's the time trial. Here's the drift mode. And here's free roam. Like, <laughs> like that would be really incredible. Just like, here's a track. Why don't you just take a look? Hang out. Maybe, maybe you can even get out of your car. Climb a tree. It'll be great. But okay, uh, what I, I wrote down for poetry. What did I write down? I wrote down the words "beautiful city lights," but that doesn't. That's just that's vanity. Why did I write a P next to that? Uh, I don't know if this is poetry, but there was only one woman driver, but she was there and she kicked my ass. She was way too good. The name of the mode is free Soko mode, which means free travel mode. It really is just like drive around the track. So I did guess the name right. Cool. Yep. Incredible. That's perfect. These settings for the courses are, a lot of them are kind of like idealized uh, driving experience type locations. Like there's the highway at night and there's driving through the woods and uh, driving at sunset, you know? So I kind of liked that they were, I mean, it's almost like, uh, uh, oh crap, what's that? What's the name of the most famous driving game ever? Help me out here. Rock and Roll Racing. No, the arcade game. (laughs) The one that everyone likes. Outrun. Yes, Outrun. It kind of is like Outrun in that they're thinking about uh, the experience of driving and what makes a good driving experience and your your memories of driving, and now they're basing their courses on it. Just like rock and roll racing. There's games of rockin'. Uh, yeah, okay. No, that's good. It does feel like they were thinking about the experience of driving. I think I think that's real nice. So, um, yeah, okay. And- what else? Oh, go ahead. And honestly, even outside uh, free roam mode, I did get like a really chill vibe from this game because, I mean, you complained about this before, but like you go through like five uh, laps in the scenario mode. And uh, if you are any good at all or have upgraded your car, you will never see the uh, target car again after like the first 20 seconds. Yeah, it is kind of chill if you're not like me and like, oh, I'm so bored. Um, I have one thing written down under poetry, and that's getting money for losing. I think there's poetry in that. It's a it's a dirty socialist game. If you lose, well, you should thinking... have taken money taken away from you. Uh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking about um, they recently published an interview with the current producer of the Mario Kart series which I, I almost posted in the news thread on select button. Um, and he defends the blue shell and his answer for why the blue shell is a good thing is just, that's the way life is sometimes. Um, and thinking about this game, it's like, I want life to be like this game, <clears throat> you know, where even if you lose, you get a little something, you know? So. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's why it's points, not money. Cause you're, you're, you're building up, even if you lose a race, you're still building up at least a reputation for being a top-level racer, right? Like, so, it's points. It's not money. Even losers can win in the world of drift racing. <laughs> yep, that's it. That's, that is true poetry. <laughs> yep. 
Um, okay, well, I'm comfortable moving on from poetry. I can't think of much else to, to dump in here. Uh, but a- anybody else got any protests before we move on to our final topic? Not really. Okay, this is going to be a bit of a shorter one. So uh, maybe. It- oh, crap. I was supposed to come up with a mystery topic. Oh, well, I'll come up with one while we talk about harmony. Okay. Uh, so that's our last topic is harmony. Which is, you know, I guess, how did everything come together? How does it interact with other games? Like, what is the the feeling of harmony you get from this? Anything that really falls under that category. So, what are your thoughts on harmony? Harmony, not harmony. Harmony. Okay. Um, I think uh, that this game mostly made me really want to play all, all the other games Genki has put out. Like, uh, this feels more like. Uh, a sign of where they were going instead of uh, uh, an end point. I haven't played any of the other games, but I also feel like I want to play the other games now because I can see, like, from this, I could see a lot of potential. Like, I feel like if I played this game when it came out, I would be excited about a sequel. I'd be excited about where this company is going with their racing, drifting games, you know? The category of game that Genki was doing with the Tokyo Extreme Racer series is a category of game that's sort of lost to time because now on PS4 or whatever, you don't find those kinds of racing games anymore. Like just endlessly driving on the highways, racing against other people, and just like a chill out racing game. There's not really any of that left. You have your Gran Turismo's, your Forza's that are coming out, but those aren't really the same thing. They're more like pro racing simulator stuff. And then you've got stuff like on the Mario Kart Sonic Kart end of the spectrum but like that entire area of like B-tier chill out racing game is gone and it, it really depresses me and it's part of the reason why this week I've been playing Gran Turismo 4 so much because uh, like un- unrelated to anything there's a new Beatmania 2DX game and it's racing themed so I was like I'm going to make dumb memes about this on Twitter so I need to go put in Gran Turismo 4 to take some photos of the cars uh, and I just sat down and played like 25 laps in time trial on my favorite track. And it's still awesome. It's like the, there's nothing that really comes close to those kinds of chill out racing experiences on modern systems. I feel. I would completely agree for that. There's not a lot of chill out games in general, but I feel like racing has kind of gotten lost for that. Yeah. And this game is very chill. It's very friendly and welcoming. Like this is a game that is constantly, smiling at you, you know, until you mess up a drift on that one mode and the guy chomps his teeth, but even then he doesn't look that mad. Like, this is a friendly game on the whole. Yeah, it is. I, I feel like it's very... I felt like... I felt welcome playing this game. A lot of lot of racing games make me feel like I fucking suck and just shouldn't be driving a car. This one made me feel like, hey, yeah, I can do this. I have an issue with the name of this game. Uh, I sort of alluded to, to it earlier, but the name of the game doesn't really harmonize with the rest of the game at all. Uh, the name of the, se- the game is Shutoko Battle Drift King 2. Like I said, Shutoko is the Tokyo Toll highway system. However, out of all the 10 tracks in the game, only three of them are highway tracks, which is strange. Uh, Drift King refers to Keiichi Tsuchiya because that was his nickname. However, most of the tracks in this game are based on Super GT tracks and not drift racing tracks. So you're like, well, where does this element of the name come from? Like, it doesn't really, it's not very coherent. 
Well, like we mentioned in the scenario mode, if you go back and play uh, the tra uh, the tracks you've beaten again, you will be racing against Keiichi Tsuchiya. It's true, and like what was said about like the trajectory of what uh, the Drift King did to reach his Drift Kingness, uh, like that all works. It's just that. If you don't know that stuff, which I guess, fair point, if you want to say that people who are going to buy this game are going to know stuff about drift racing, we sure, certainly didn't. Uh, like, if people don't know that, it just seems like a very disjointed game with a bunch of words that contradict themselves in the title. That's true. And so, like, uh, aside from the title, I think this is mostly a harmonious game. Yeah, and, like, nothing in the title is untrue. Like, all of those elements are in the game. It's just that they're sort of not one coherent thing. It's just like, here is a bunch of stuff put together to make this chill racing game, which is actually pretty good, except it's just weird. Um, I've actually played a lot of the later games, and uh, based on the trajectory of those games, I thought this game was going to be really bad because the PS1 and Saturn games are noticeably worse than the PS2 and Dreamcast ones. Um, but... They actually seem to have it all together at this point. Like, it was kind of an early peak for them. And uh, I think you see that, like, in the sales. Like, this game had a pretty good reputation early on. So um, I think this game, like, really stands out as far as the whole series is concerned. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a good... I don't know. It's interesting. It does feel like a harmonized game. I think the word battle also in the title is a bit goofy because this doesn't feel like a, oh, I got to beat you. And like, there's not the rivalries are, are weak. You're, either you're going to lose bad or you're going to win good, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I think the battle part just refers to the fact that this is exclusively one-on-one -on -one racing. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, I really enjoyed this game. Like, I, you know, we talk a lot about mechanics and, you know, the, the kinds of things we like. But just as a whole, I really had a good time playing this game. And I got bored kind of near the end just because it felt like, you know, you're grinding out money, essentially, and then you're going to get uh, parts and then you're just going to win. But even with that, I felt like it was really nice. Like, it was just really nice to play around in. It was good. I mean, honestly, like, I've played a few of the the Toro Q games or Choro Q. I don't remember how, uh, how it's actually said. Uh, so I kind of get addicted to like that pseudo RPG numbers go up thing with car games where uh, you just like buy parts to make your uh, car go a little bit better, uh, which is also a thing in like mecha games, which is the other thing Genki does. Like they do racing games and then they do a whole bunch of weird mecha games. I would totally play a mecha game from these guys. But uh, I was thinking about this game as being like, an elaborate structure built around the act of drifting. Like, it feels to me like the very core of this game is that they programmed a fun way to drift and everything is about letting you have a good time while drifting. And uh, to me, that's, that works. That's, it's, this game is the most peaceful way to drift. The most peaceful way to drift. I think that sums it up really well. Oh, I want to go back to the Choro Q games too, because I played... Penny Racers on the N64, which is, was Churro Q in Japan, uh, which is a really bad game, but I liked it a lot as, as a kid because you got to buy little parts and everything. But then I'm trying to remember the name of the Churro Q game on the PS2 that's kind of that's open world. Like, I can't remember what they called it in, uh, in Europe. It was like something road trip. 
that was a lot of fun. I, I put a couple of hours into that and just driving around in this goofy little car, talking to other cars and buying upgrades and doing races. Like as a, that was a good time. So, and yeah, this kind of like the chillness of this along with the upgrading of this actually is closer to something like Choroku, which is really about toy cars than it is something like Gran Turismo or the one I'm thinking of is Gotham Racers or whatever the fuck that was called. But, uh, but yeah, Gotham Racing. Thank you. Yes. Which I thought was a Batman game when I bought it anyway. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like it's, it's, it's a chill game with kind of plasticky cars and it feels great. It, it feels good to play. I saw Choriku in a select button thread actually. And I, it looked super good and fun and weird. So uh, go to the select button forums, everyone you'll find about out about cool, weird old games you can emulate. Yeah. That's actually where I found out about the PS2 one and I emulated it for a bit. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a good few hours. It didn't feel like I wasted it. It even had like a weird little radio station and that you could that switch songs on or you didn't couldn't switch songs. You just had to listen to whatever was playing. It was it was cool. <laughs> road trip adventure in the e, in the EU part and then just road trip in North America. That's what it was called. Road trip adventure is definitely the better title there. Yeah, definitely. Because road trip just sounds like you pile a bunch of family in a car and go to McDonald's and then argue, you know? <laughs> Or a really sketchy movie about frat boys. <laughs> That's my feeling about that. Same. Okay, well, I think we've summed it up. Any any other Harmony thoughts before we just kind of close this one out? Oh, uh, one last... I, I guess this is more a uh, vanity thought, but I did like that one of the details to uh, the drift mechanics in this game is that if you overdrift, your car will spin out. Uh, and I think think that might be the earliest instance of that happening in a, in a video game. Hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I, I guess I wasn't drifting enough cause I never spun out. Interesting. It happened to me wow. a lot. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. How did you not spin out? How is it even possible? I have played an automatic and I used the brakes a lot. Like I definitely like got to a point where my car was going too far to one side or the other and I didn't have great control, but my car never did a full 360 or even a 180, so it, maybe maybe I did spin out and I just didn't know. You played an, you drove an automatic and you drove safely. For sure. I drove an automatic and I did not drive safely and I spun out a lot, but I think I remember Virtual Clint mentioning earlier drifting by tapping on the brakes, whereas I was drifting by uh, pushing those brakes to the floor, so that's probably why I spun out. <laughs> just slam on the brakes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I think then, I think we're good. I think we got enough out of Drift King. This is a, is a good game. I'm glad that I played it. I would not have played it except for this podcast because I don't pick up racing games on my own. So this is a good time. Um, okay, cool. Oh, yeah, I just have one more fun thing to tack on. Um, the next game in the series, which was for PS1, um, got localized in North America as Tokyo Highway Battle. And um, they actually kept the Drift King and uh, Masaki Bando in the game, which they usually cut stuff like that out when they localize games like that. So, you know, if you want to play a game like this and actually be able to read it in English, um, check that out. And they even kept the title really, like, not, not literal, but very understandable, Tokyo Highway Battle. Like, that's exactly what it is. So that's pretty cool. Okay, so that's it for this podcast. We we drifted. Did we king? We kinged. And uh, we, we loved every second of it. 
Um, so I, I just want to thank all my guests and, and for joining me on this uh, for the fifth time, well, the sixth time, really. Um, and it's been a really good time. So everyone, uh, where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Uh, this is Nick Person, and I'm only on Select Button. So hang out with me there. I'm one second before, and I'm on Select Button as well. I've also got a Tumblr called counterfeitcontent.tumblr.com that would take too long to explain, but I think it's pretty funny. It's about a uh, way that I completely ruined my old job without getting fired, but in a way that was kind of funny. I am Sakarina. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sakarina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And I do a thing on YouTube where I play through every Wonderswan game in chronological order. Uh, we're currently at 32 games, so that's fun. Only two and a half more years to go. Uh, you can find that at swansong.ws. And I'm Talfa. Uh, I can primarily be found on the Select Button forums, but I do have a Twitter that I tweet maybe once every six months uh, at uh, Memorius Talfa. And uh, please uh, just come over to the Select Button forums to hang out with me. And uh, I have been virtual clan i do want to say big ups to counterfeit content big ups to to swan song it's some good good content on the internet uh but if you want to find, <laughs> yeah it's great i i got my forum uh title from that which i'll probably mention every freaking episode because it's so <laughs> goddamn funny uh <laughs> so uh but yeah i'm virtual clint you can find me on twitter at virtual clint uh i'm on the selectbun.net forums as virtual clint i think i'm on steam as something else so but you can't find me there um for updates on the podcast and whatever other stuff i'm retweeting from the podcast account uh follow snexploration so that's at sn exploration on twitter and if you want to have questions or comments or just really rude mail i don't know uh you can send an email to snexploration at gmail.com uh yeah and as always for more inane video game discussion jump into selectbutton.net forums we're always uh looking for new people uh i spent about a year and a half being too intimidated to join and then i joined and everybody's just a bunch of weird nerds which is great so uh <laughs> so don't be intimidated um if you want to play along our next game is Cyber Knight 2, which does have a fan translation, so we're going to be playing an English game again. Uh, well, depending on how well it's translated, I guess. So Cyber Knight 2, Chikyu Teikoku no Yabo. Oh, fuck me. Uh, <laughs> that podcast is going to go up August 26th. Uh, so yeah, so definitely check that out if you want to play along with the podcast. <laughs> If you like this podcast, tell your friends about it. Or you could tell your enemies, or you could shout it off a rooftop, or you could do it in skywriting or sidewalk talk. Like, I want I want people to promote this podcast because I don't have the money to advertise it, and I want people to listen to us being really cool. My guests are really awesome. And uh, I, sh I should say our guests because this week we were without Curry or Rice, the usual co-host due to some technical issues. But uh, next time, hopefully, Courier will be able to join. But anyway, tell your friends, tell your enemies, and as I usually say, tell your, tell your therapist. Um, if you leave a review on iTunes, I will read it on the podcast, even if it's really, really mean. So if you want to say something mean to a bunch of people, I guess you could do that. I don't know why you do that, but I will read it. So um, until next time, it's not Chuck Rock. Woo!
hold on, I'm going to do this and make my vaporwave millions. Music, as always, is provided by Schnabobula. It's a track called Playing Super Mario World While Taking Mushrooms. And he just actually released a new album, uh, part of a huge project, uh, the Piano Storybook Project. So check out his Bandcamp page, schnabobula.bandcamp.com. A special track you heard was composed by our very own Tulpa. It's a Vaporwave remix of one of the tracks in the game uh, that we just played, The Part Shop. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty great, huh? All right. Bye. See you next time.